from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I mean, is she doing okay today? This was uh, a month and a few days ago at yeah, this point. Yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, the the anxiety that stays with you after an incident like that is, is very large. I think in Missouri, uh, we really don't spend much money on these services that we all expect to work. Well, it's a, it's a challenging time, and we're competing. There's a labor shortage uh, across the, uh, all occupations, but we're so short-staffed at this point in time. Other inmates knew this was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them saved her life, most likely. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last Wednesday, a corrections officer at the St. Louis County Justice Center was assaulted by a detainee there. Christina Nieto was monitoring a group of male inmates when one charged at her and hit her repeatedly in the face and head with a closed fist. St. Louis County Prosecuting Attorney Wesley Bell filed charges against her assailant just days later. 19-year-old Carnell Robinson now faces a charge of first-degree assault. But Christina Nieto is not the only corrections officer assaulted in that jail in recent months. Another female officer was assaulted by an inmate just weeks before. She, too, suffered pretty severe injuries. And yesterday, Bell's office also filed charges against Samin Manuel. He's the inmate who attacked her. Those two corrections officers are now both represented by St. Louis attorney Alad Gross, and he joins us today. Alad, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Christina Nieto, this is the most recent assault there right. at the Justice Center. How is she doing right now? Uh, she is not doing very well. Um, she is at home. Um, she's uh, had to have extensive medical treatment. Um, her vision is um, not great, uh, and we're uh, praying that uh, there won't be long-lasting consequences from the assault. So this is a serious attack here. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's unfortunate that it ever happened. So how does she feel about the fact that uh, the prosecutor's office, they have brought charges in this? Is she happy about that? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's a, a positive development for sure. I think um, uh, Chrissy um, and, and many of her coworkers feel the same, that uh, this has been a situation just waiting to happen uh, because there haven't been enough reforms or, or policies put in place to make sure it doesn't. And um, yeah, I mean, this is it's it's a step in the in the right direction. I mean, when when somebody is willing to do that to the point that other inmates knew this was wrong, mm-hmm. uh, one of them saved her life, most likely. He stepped in in the middle of this attack. That's right. I mean, it's it's something that that um, I think folks. Uh, in general, understand, you know, corrections officers and inmates together, it's not the best situation for anybody, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that there's some uh, shared understanding to some degree there. But um, yeah, somebody who's willing to be violent in that kind of a situation is, is a very scary thing and led to this. And you said this was a situation that she and her colleagues feared was waiting to happen. In fact, at that point, it had fairly recently happened. Correct. Did she know at the time that she was assaulted about this colleague who yes. had been assaulted? She she did. Uh, the other uh, officer, that was Officer Hanning, who was assaulted a month and a day before this. Um, literally, it was just in October. And uh, they actually worked uh, on the same floor in general. So they, they knew each other. And that assault seems to have gotten a little bit less attention. Can you tell us what happened there? to uh, your client, Pristina Hanning. Yeah, uh, so Officer Hanning uh, was actually assigned to a different floor that day. She was assigned to the seventh floor, uh, which is already 
an issue because you're not as used to the mm-hmm. folks who are there. Uh, they might not you know you as well. But you know, some folks they're moving from different floors, so there's some people who are familiar. Um, in that situation, she was on her own again um, with 72 about, I believe, inmates on her own. 72 people. And these are not people who are like locked in an individual cell. They're all in like the same room together. Yeah. So so there's there's different kinds of shifts when some are coming out and some are going in. Um, so not everybody was out at the same time, but she's responsible for all of them. Um, and that sounds so like a lot to that, be responsible they, for. Uh, quite a few. And um, yeah, in, in that situation, uh, there was uh, an inmate there who was uh, being very belligerent. He was very upset. Um, and uh, kept coming, you know, up and down the stairs back to her position, got very close to her. She kept warning him not to do that um, and tried as much as she could to de-escalate the situation. Unfortunately, that was not something that he uh, seemed to want to do, um, and so he started charging at her. She still told him to stop, um, and eventually she tried to radio it uh, over, but he was yelling over her voice um, to the point where she had to then pull out her pepper spray, use it. That did not stop him. He continued to charge at her, and uh, eventually was able to get control of her, get behind her, uh, put her in a choke lock and try to break her neck while he was saying that he would kill her. Um, And eventually, I guess that didn't work very well, uh, or he tried as much as he could, uh, and uh, he eventually threw her to the ground uh, where she landed straight on her shoulder, um, and uh, thankfully people eventually responded. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. I mean, is she doing okay today? This was uh, a month and a few days ago at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, the the anxiety that stays with you after an incident like that is is very large. Um, but uh, yeah, she's still having to go through uh, treatment today as well, both physically and, and emotionally. So these two women, I mean, these are two really scary attacks. And in both cases, they're the one person there with a whole lot of inmates. Is that the source of this problem? Yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a few things. So one is they're on their own, mm-hmm. and um, that that is a practice that uh, doesn't seem to make any sense just just thinking about it, right? Um, and I've done some work uh, for the state with the Department of Corrections, uh, and from my experience, I, I don't get it. Uh, but two is is just the response time. So uh, e- even in that situation. When somebody makes a call, you need to have somebody responding immediately. And there's a bunch of security stuff you wouldn't think of, like, you know, if somebody is in a different housing unit, uh, you can't just open all the doors because if there's a security issue, then, you know, maybe we're going to have an even bigger one. Sure. Uh, But there should be a plan in place for a response to come immediately. And the best way to really do that is to have somebody else there with you. At least one, I mean, even even two people for a room of 70 folks, that's... um, that's that could be problematic too. You mentioned you've done work with other correctional centers sure. before. Is this common that you'd have just one person with seventy guys? Uh, it, it is not common from my experience, uh, and that's you know in the state of Missouri and from my understanding of different states that we've looked at too. Uh, but it is not common for corrections officers to be alone, period, with folks. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's to protect everybody's safety. So I mean, whether you know, you're thinking about inmate safety, which there have been many inmates who have been beaten there as well by other inmates and, and folks intervened. And and this is a danger for everybody who is there, whether you're working there, or whether you're incarcerated at the St. Louis County Justice Center. So what's your sense of what needs to happen here? 
Uh, they have lots of changes. Uh, I mean, number one, they need to take care of folks who get injured because of this, these bad practices, this bad policy. Uh, but two, that bad practice, those bad policies, they got to go. I mean, they, they shouldn't be there. So there needs to be reforms made. Uh, there needs to be a lot more attention on this issue. I think, uh, you know, there's been some efforts to reinvest in our public institutions. I think in Missouri, uh, we really don't spend much money on these services that we all expect to work. And, you know, whether that's transportation, whether that's education, which we've defunded in the state to a large degree, uh, or whether that's our correctional institutions in public safety. Uh, I mean, we're, we are uh, reaping what we have sowed for so many years. And um, the, the folks who are working there, the folks who are uh, detained there, including some who might be detained who haven't even... You know, they haven't been adjudicated yet. We don't right. know if they're they have not been convicted of a crime. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, uh, everybody who's involved really deserves to to be safe in those situations, and that's not happening. So in just a few minutes on this show, um, I'm going to talk to the acting director of the uh, correctional services there, and it's going to be interesting to hear what he has to say. He has mm-hmm. not been on the job long. It's yeah. safe to say these, uh, these problems long predate him taking this position. But there have been concerns about this jail for many years now. Yeah. Um, you're saying they need more money. St. Louis County needs to step up here. Is, is your take? I mean, I, I think that's one. Uh, I don't want to just say it's just money. Um, but sure. yeah, I mean, I think that would that would be helpful. I mean, the folks who work there, they don't get paid very much to work there. And they have a big staffing it, shortage exactly right, right now. I, I think they have 80 positions open is yeah, the latest I heard. Something like, yeah, I think it's 70 plus. It's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And, and there's a reason why, um, you know, folks are making decisions, I guess, um, that that's jeopardizing people's safety. Um, and, you know, it's very hard to recruit folks to come work at, at these jobs if you're not going to pay them. Um, so that's one. But two, it, you, whatever have, whatever money that you've got, whatever it is, you need to be open about what's going on and ensure that folks are safe no matter what. Um, and unfortunately... Um, you know, it's it's a bad situation right now, and and I hope leadership really steps in, and I hope uh, Mr. Anders uh, is, and it sounds like he's really looking into this. So. so there have been calls now for about three years to have an outside review of everything going on in that jail. I understand we're now going to get that. Do you feel confident that we're going to get one that actually gets to the bottom of things? Yeah, you know, I'm an optimistic guy, you know, uh, but uh, it's gonna be hard in Missouri. So yeah, good for you. It, it sometimes it is. Yeah, um, uh, I I think uh, you know I, I would. I know that there are a lot of folks who work there who really care about their jobs. There are, there are folks who are being held there who really care about the conditions in which they're held. I hope that those voices are included in this process. Um, I hope that there's more communication with the folks, just the folks I'm representing, but also their coworkers, and really giving folks an ownership stake in what they're dealing with every day. They are the experts on what is happening there all the time. And uh, I, I mean, oftentimes some of these government reviews ignore those voices that are often the most important there. Um, but I, I hope that that's not the case here, and I hope we do see some serious changes. And it should not take somebody getting beaten within an inch of their life for changes to be made. And two people <laughs> getting yeah, beaten. Yeah, yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah. So one other thing, you mentioned something that needs to change is they need to take care of these people who have been attacked and who have been injured. And yeah. you do have some concerns about how they handled the aftermath of the beating of your client, Christina yeah. Nieto. What <laughs> happened there that, that is a concern? Yeah, uh, and it, it actually, there was a similar kind of process with both of them, but with uh, Officer Nieto, it was uh, uh, much uh, stranger. Uh, so after um, she was 
assaulted um, and folks finally responded. She was removed from the room, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, despite the swelling in her face, despite the injuries that she just suffered and how long it took for folks to respond, um, and the fact that she was having issues responding to folks anyway to their questions as they were asking and checking in on her. She couldn't even answer in she, a coherent way. Yeah, I mean, okay. some stuff that, you know, not remembering things. that uh, Signs like, of a concussion. Yeah. Um, uh, she was not uh, given immediate medical attention by an EMT or an ambulance. Folks weren't called. Instead, they put her into a car. They drove her to the wrong hospital because they could not treat her for the trauma that she had. She became unresponsive during that car ride, and she had to be rushed in an ambulance from that one hospital to the next one where she was finally treated for her injuries. And uh, I don't know if that's a policy there or whatever it is, but that is... Uh, there's absolutely no excuse for why she did not receive medical treatment immediately after this happened. So, Alad, you're a lawyer. You now I, represent I do, these two women. Yes. Are you planning to file a lawsuit on their behalf? I, I mean, you know, right now uh, I am working with them uh, and so far the folks in the county to make sure that they're getting the treatment that they need. Uh, you know, we that's that's the key goal here. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they would like to see changes, too, as, as I've discussed. That this is something they very much want to see. Um, and so I'm, I'm we're, we're all very wor willing to work with the county on on all of these issues. Um, hopefully, I don't, I know people are like, oh, you're a lawyer, you want to file a lawsuit. Um, that is not something that we're always interested in doing if we can resolve the situation the right way. But if folks aren't going to step up and take responsibility for what they did and do the right thing, um, then yeah, absolutely, we'll see them in court. But I, I hope that's not needed. That's not something that we should always resolve, resolve these situations in. Well, Alad Gross, I want to thank you so much for joining us today anytime. We do need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk to Scott Anders. He's the acting director of the St. Louis County Department of Justice Services. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. Welcome back. Just before the break, we talked to attorney Alad Gross. He represents two female corrections officers. Both of them were attacked in the last five weeks or so by inmates at the St. Louis County Justice Center, and both were pretty badly injured. And so joining us now to share some perspective is Scott Anders. He's the acting director of the St. Louis County Department of Justice Services. Director Anders, welcome. Thank you for having me. So it was hard to hear Alad talk about what happened to these two women. Frankly, it sounds like a terrifying situation in both cases where they had so many people um, under their control. And when violence broke out, they were there all alone. It, is that typical uh, for the St. Louis County Justice Center to have somebody in charge of that many detainees? Well, it, 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 both situations were uh, horrible assaults. And our primary concern has been... Uh, uh, the, the, the welfare and healing of both Christina and Christina, and uh, we have made some immediate changes to help with safety here. Uh, but I, I do want to share that the jail was built in March of 1998, and the the model that was 
designed was a direct supervision model, which uh, actually uh, there are facilities built this way throughout the United States, and the design is to have one officer per pod, uh, and it's an open model where they're communicating and and, uh, building relationships with the residents there. And and having Uh, 70 people in a pod, would that be what the jail is built for? That's that's considered typical. That is the way it's it was designed and it's been the policy up until I changed that uh, uh, just following this incident. And uh, so I uh, I can let you know that uh, following the assault of Christina, we implemented a policy for a roving officer on each floor uh, to provide additional support. And we do have uh, unit managers that uh, walk through routinely and do uh, key lock searches and are there to assist. But on November, and I started this position on October 1st, uh, so I implemented that procedure on October 9th. And uh, on November 10th, after this event happened and, and meeting with Christina's family and, and uh, listening to their concerns and meeting with her, uh, I had immediately locked down the jail, and it remained locked down for two days uh, while we developed a, a new procedure that we could have two officers in each pod. And uh, I, I did that uh, because the level of uh, the, the level of risk of residents here has increased substantially uh, during the pandemic. Uh, so uh, while the pandemic uh, 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 has been in effect the last year and a half. Majority of court hearings were not being held. Department of Corrections and Bureau of Prisons were not taking people that were sentenced. So mm-hmm. uh, they were there. There, there were people that were not being released. And and then on the front side of that, law enforcement agencies were arresting uh, violent crimes and and uh, not pursuing uh, incarceration for other municipal ordinance type violations. So about two-thirds of the jail now is uh, higher risk. And so uh, that policy was implemented that day. And uh, even though we're short-staffed by 80 officers now, uh, we've made a commitment uh, to do that. And we're... we're the, the other challenge during the pandemic is that the residents were locked down uh, much more. And, and with the COVID restrictions that are in place for the county, we never would have more than 50% of the residents out at one time. So if the pod holds 72, then 36 residents would be the most that would be out at one time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that sounds like there's a number of factors going on here now. As you say, this is um, proportionally maybe a more violent population than that jail has historically been accustomed to. You don't have the misdemeanor people mingling in there. People are staying uh, for longer periods of time, which obviously ups the ante. Then there's obviously also this issue of staff shortages. Um, And you mentioned you have a lot of open positions right now. What would you attribute that to? Well, it's a it's a challenging time, and we're competing. There's a labor shortage uh, across the, uh, all occupations, but uh, uh, now uh, private companies are able to provide signing bonuses, and and uh, uh, places like IKEA are offering nineteen dollars an hour and, and full college tuition. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this and is a hard jails, job. Uh, I mean, nobody could say working as a corrections officer is is cushy. Yeah, so we're we're asking that you know they're being paid similar wages and working in a much higher risk environment, and so that's why we've 
uh, ask the county council for approval for a two dollar an hour pay increase so that we can be more competitive with with uh, even the other jails in the area. So I'm glad you mentioned that. This was a hot topic at last night's county council meeting. Uh, Martha Wheat is a corrections officer at the jail, and last night she implored the council to raise the pay so the environment there can improve. I'm terrified. I am terrified to step in one of them pots because I don't know am I'm going to be able to come out of there and go back home to my family. And so that is Corrections Officer Martha Wheat speaking last night. Do you think the council is receptive uh, to that $2 bump you're asking for? I'm, I'm hopeful that they are. And, and they did pass an ordinance uh, in late September that would have provided uh, an increase to the officers. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it, it's, it's not able to, it doesn't meet the criteria of ARPA funding, which would be the funding source for that. So uh, that is why we've gone back and asked for the hourly increase so that we have those resources. Yeah. So, yeah, I understand the council kind of previously tried to do this, but those raises haven't gone through. There was some sort of legal issue with that. And so it sounds like this is something where if they can just earmark this money that they thought they already earmarked, you'll be in a better place. Yeah, and we we actually uh, uh, hope that that can happen very quickly. And we've done a lot with recruitment to bring in uh, new officers. So we have a class now of, of nine. Just this morning, Department of Labor was here to for National Apprenticeship Week to highlight the new apprenticeship program that we have for corrections officers that will provide them with $500 uh, after completion of their probationary period and up to 30 hours of college credit when they complete the one-year apprenticeship program. Mm -hmm. We have 50 people scheduled to interview Thursday and Friday. Uh, So uh, the the pay increase will help us uh, uh, slow the the, uh, rate that people are leaving uh, while we're able to add new staff. Well, Scott, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I do want to point out um, these problems. This is not something that anyone uh, could allege is attributable to your leadership here in that you just started last month as interim director. And there's been a number of interim directors in just the last few years. Uh, but last night at this county council meeting, the deputy director said that the atmosphere at the jail is the worst he's seen. He said he was there for a riot in 1999 and a flood in 1992. You're coming in as an outsider. Uh, you were the chief probation officer for the Eastern District of Missouri prior to this job. Uh, do you think he's right? Is this jail in a dire situation? Well, I, we we definitely have a, a crisis with our staffing, and this is not uncommon. The uh, surrounding jails and the State Department of Corrections are all uh, short-staffed as well. Uh, working in this type of an environment, even during the pandemic, is, is difficult to recruit. And uh, and so we are doing uh, a lot now to uh, try to help with flexibility for scheduling and, and providing some opportunities for college and, and other things that would help uh, staff in terms of their ability to work on the different shifts. They've worked tirelessly uh, during the past two years. We have a 24-hour operation here. And I think what was being alluded to is that uh, because we're so we're so short staffed at this point in time uh, we have our community correction staff and our salaried uh, staff coming into the jail to help cover posts uh, and and so uh, 
and and no and understandably after assaults like this we had the facility locked down and the residents that weren't involved and these were two individuals that committed the assaults and there are 950 residents so uh just uh, with them having been locked down more uh and and while we're short and we're able to put two officers in each pod that now we can rotate but that's less time out that the residents have so uh, we do need to bring on additional staff quickly, and then we'll be able to open up a, a, a lot of the programming that we have planned. We're 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 now receiving an, uh, our residential substance abuse treatment grant uh, that will provide uh, residential drug treatment. Uh, we have a, a four million dollar grant for job readiness training that will be provided, and the community college has agreed to come in and provide college courses. We have new tablets for residents uh, that provide not only entertainment but educational material and the ability to call family members and email them. And But being able to implement all of these things requires that we be staffed at a level high enough to do that safely. So I'm very committed to, to having two officers in each pod that's been implemented and, and, and will not go back uh, to one officer per pod. Uh, and so we do need the support of the council to provide that pay increase so that we can have a bridge uh, to get us to the, the point that we can be fully staffed and operational with those programs. Well, I'm glad to hear about these changes and, and that there's a movement underway to deal with this staffing shortage. I also do want to note, I misspoke there. I said the riot was in 1999. I meant to say 1991. Just wanted to clarify that. Um, Scott, I do have one last question I want to ask you today. Um, you know, you are very new to this jail and just in your first month as acting director. What made you want to take on this job? This seems like such a tough, thankless role at a particularly tough time. Well, uh, there was uh, there was a commitment from St. Louis County to make improvements in the jail, and uh, former Director Doug Burris, uh, who I worked with for 23 years at the federal level, uh, came in and was beginning to make these changes. And then, and quite frankly, that's why I'm here because I wanted to be a part of making improvements to the jail. So uh, mm. we have uh, we have great staff here, and, and we'll be bringing in National Institute of Corrections uh, after January to provide leadership training and technical assistance. And we have CGL uh, companies that will be coming in to do the full jail review and make recommendations. And and uh, I'm just confident that we'll be with this with with the addition to pay and and uh, the information that we'll be receiving and continuing to listen to our staff and, and residents and the public will be able to make these improvements. Well, Scott Andrews, we wish you the best of luck with that. Well, thank you so much. This episode was produced by Alex Hoyer with audio engineering by Aaron Dorr and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. It was mixed and edited by Aaron. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.